On this episode, I sit down with Luke Mishke and we talk about his life growing up, a little bit of car sales, a little bit of, uh, you know, rising from nothing, and the importance of being observant. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Pursuit of Purpose. I am here today in Luke Mishke's house, actually. This is the first ever recorded episode in person of the Pursuit of Purpose. So we're trying out some new audio equipment. But um, Luke, thanks for, for joining us and for being willing to do this. You're welcome. So before we get into our discussion, why don't you just give me a quick uh rundown or recap of what you do today? I'm an assistant sales manager as a brand new title for me. I've been a salesman for the last five years at a auto dealership in Spokane and um, I'm a father of two beautiful kids and got a wonderful wife. Um, but in my career I, I've been selling cars for five years and just recently accepted a promotion to get to be in a leadership spot and try to drive sales throughout the entire store and um, that's what I do. Yeah. And so you've actually, you mentioned, or you just said you've been in sales for five years, but you've actually been in sales, I've been for, in sales for a, a long time. Yeah. No, I was in uh, customer service sales positions before that, which really shaped me to be the salesperson that I am. I worked at Oil Can Henry's and was the manager of a store for almost three years and learned tons of professional experience and customer service experience and like straightforward sales experience in that in that position and just business in general but then before that uh, I sold gym memberships and personal training um, packages and that was my first sales position where I actually received some sort of sales training and knew that I was selling something and not everybody wanted it so then the something that you won't you don't come out and say but I feel like I can because I'm not you you're actually quite good at selling too. You're not just like, you haven't been floating around from one sales job to the next. No. But you've been, and I'm, you can maybe tell me exact numbers, but I know in particular at your car sales job, you were, you know, top salesman for, you know, 90% of the months that you've worked there. Is that, or accurate somewhere in there? Well, to be the number one salesperson um, every month is very hard to do. At our dealership, though, they like they reward the top three position um, positions every month, and I very consistently maintain the top three, which I I think is a big deal. Um, and then was also you know salesman of the month regularly. When I say regularly, maybe it was like two months in a row, and then I was second place, and then I was third place, and then I was salesman of the month again, hmm. and then I was second place and salesman of the month again. Um, but to me, the biggest accomplishment because in auto sales, it's not. A month at a time because you can make a ton of money and then make minimum wage um, it's a yearly thing and I always wanted to win the year um, that was my win the war not so much the battles yeah the battles are cool um, and the battles give you pay bonuses but if at the end of the year they can come up to you and and you can say that you made the dealership the most gross and you sold the most cars um, that's what I was most proud of and where do you think from my perspective, um, car sales in particular is a more difficult uh, role to be in, a job to have, because um, stereotypically, car salesmen don't have the best reputation and or, um, you know what I'm saying. I know what you're saying, yeah. Um, well, that's what kept me from getting into car sales early on. Early on. Um, I actually when I was like 18, 19 years old, wanted to go be a car salesman. And I remember as a like 12 or 13 year old, my dad took a job in auto sales for a short period of time and got fired. And I, and I thought my dad was gonna be like the best car salesman in the world when I found out he was gonna do it. Um, but there's that stigma. Yeah, that's like what you were mentioning. And so when my dad got fired, he came home and, and called everybody at the dealership a bunch of assholes and that he didn't wanna work there anyways. And so, but everybody else already also knows that, yes, salesmen and car sales can be rough um, and it can be a, a stressful experience. But uh, 
that's what kept me from it because I didn't want to go be that guy. And in a way, it wasn't good enough for my dad, I kind of thought. But I just was misjudging it. Um, so it was tough in the beginning. But be, once you become a car salesman and you get into a good dealership, um, and just with the direction that auto sales is going in general, you kind of get your eyes opened and realize that not everybody's a liar and a criminal and that they don't just want to screw people out of their money. Um, but most everybody actually that is successful and has a long-term career in auto sales is a people person and they like people and they care about people. And they, that's why they like that job is because they get to work and interact with strangers on a regular basis. And then they also like cars and they're passionate about cars. So it's, yeah, no, I, I'm proud to be a car salesman now. Uh, but yeah, in the beginning, it was a little bit, I was a little insecure about telling people I was a car salesman. Right. And I think that's the, the something else that I know you, the first time I saw you being thrown into like a completely strange situation with no one that you knew, it was crazy to me how you immediately were able to develop rapport with people and kind of, uh, being the funny guy in a tactful way around people that you don't really know mm -hmm. is very difficult to do. Yeah, it is. And it's something that you you naturally are able to do. But like if for the people that don't know Luke, he legitimately is like very, very good at, I don't know if you enjoy going to like networking things, but I feel like you are uh, the you are like what everybody wishes they could be in those situations, whether or not you actually enjoy it, you happen to be very good at it, I would say. Um, you just loaded me with these compliments. Uh, it's, it kind of makes me uncomfortable, but... Um, <laughs> uh, no, and you don't even have to respond to I that. Know, to I know, I don't even, yeah, I kind of hardly know how to respond. I, one of the things I think of um, is, well, I don't even know how to say it. It's just like... Family functions, right? Being going to the in-laws and stuff like that. I always I think of that type of stuff, but ultimately, observant is I think where I got that quality from. Is more than anything, before I act, I observe, and I think being able to understand your scenario and what room you're in. You could be in a room with a bunch of people who love Metallica, and you shouldn't bring up LL Cool J, right? But you might love LL Cool J to the bone. And they're talking about music, and all you want to talk about is the music that you love, but you might need something from these people. So being able to understand that I can't go into this music conversation, you, you know what I'm saying? Mm, totally. Yeah, so, so that's a, actually a really, a really good way of describing that, and I got this from another guy who's much older than me and I think is also charismatic. His name's Lance. But he, he calls it knowing your room. You need to understand and know your room. Um, we sit in a showroom all day long um, and we get to observe different customers walk into the dealership and either get greeted or greet us, right? It's kind of whoever goes first. But they don't know what room they're in when they walk in, but they, had an, they have an idea of what room they're walking into. They have a, they, they're prepared to be a certain way. They come in and they say something like, I'm just looking or I'm gonna buy a car today or they walk with their head up or their head down, um, and you see all these different actions. Uh, it's it's interesting how they perceive it. But then the same thing when you go to, to parties and social gatherings, and yeah, you got to know your room. You got to know who you're around. So you have to be observant first. Mm. And I think that's a I was gonna that's actually a fantastic observation. My question for you is where did that where did that come from? The observant part because I think that's a critical piece of, of being a leader. I hate being embarrassed. Right? Mm. Think you think about embarrassment like I've got kids. Some of the times that I felt the worst is like when I embarrassed my kids. And I remember as a kid my dad embarrassing me at times. Um and just this feeling of embarrassment I was kind of a baby. People used to tell me that I'd wear my emotions on my sleeves, like a crybaby type. And so we'd be playing like sports in the yard at my grandparents' house. And I'm the youngest of all my siblings and was the youngest of a lot of the cousins. And they'd, so they'd be throwing footballs around and, or we'd be playing basketball and passing the ball back and forth. And I'd jam a finger and cry because they're passing it to the little kid. I can't handle the heat or same thing. And so I hated that. I hated crying in front of people. Um, I hated being embarrassed. And so I think that's 
kind of a blessing that the youngest kids figure out sometimes. Um, so you just kind of stop and you go, okay, how hard are they throwing the ball before I get into this game? And prepare yourself for, for So very early on, you were, you basically developed this, what I would call a skill from a, the anxiety or the fear of not wanting to be humiliated. Yeah. So did, did, um, I feel like some self-diagnosis I've never realized maybe right there. <laughs> interesting. Something, but that's something that I'm super fascinated by is I believe that everything is learnable. Everything. Like yeah. if you want to be a good leader, you mm -hmm. need to pay attention and learn how to be a good leader. If you want to be a good speaker, pay attention and look at what good speakers are doing and then do more of that. Absolutely. And everything that you so like for me, I, I just think it's super interesting to basically analyze people and say, how did they get that way? Yeah. And make sure you can dig or figure that out about yourself. Because I think the most dangerous thing for anybody is to basically have gotten to some place in life that you're either happy with or unhappy with and have no care in the world as to how you got there. Like yeah. if you can, if you can uh, even if you're in the worst place ever, and you can be able to trace back the decisions, the people, the things that happened to get you to where you are, mm -hmm. you're a zillion times ahead of 90% of the world because so many people are just kind of like, well, shit, this is just the way that it is. Yeah. And then they're stuck because they don't have the ability to go back and say, ah, oh, the reason I'm like this is mm -hmm. because I was humiliated by my dad when I was six. Yeah. And if you can say that, that's great. That's a, that's like a superpower yeah. because some people never get that. Well, and I think a lot of people don't get it is because they're afraid to admit things. I think they're afraid to admit they're scared or they mm. had a fear at one time or something happened to I think people, yeah, they're just afraid to open up a lot of the times. You learn a lot by sharing your pain. You learn a lot mm. by sharing your, sharing your fears and you figure out you're not alone in them and Thinking about what you were saying, though, um, it makes me think of being being able to track your progress, right? When you think about sales um, or anything at the gym, especially, we would we would do a really good job of keeping track of how many members came into the gym. You wanted to know how many people were actually using the gym versus had memberships at the gym, um, because the people who are using the gym are going to keep their memberships longer. So you needed to have that information. If you're going to make investments in the future and new equipment, you're, you know, and then how many people are canceling their memberships every month versus how many people you're signing up? And then how many people are you bringing in and showing them the gym and then not signing them up? Um, it's amazing we don't do, you would think in car sales, well, we do. We just need to do a better job of it at this current time. But um, a better job of tracking how right? many people come in, how many everything. people buy. Yeah, everything. Um, and I, on who, which salesman interacts. Absolutely, yeah. And to be a, a good... Kind of like you're... Do we need to get to batting averages of everybody? 100%. That is a... That's a that, you need batting averages. And batting averages in scenarios, just like in baseball also, right? Mm. So what's this... With a guy on third base. Yeah, what's yeah. he do when a guy's on third and a guy's on second and it's a left-handed pitcher mm. and the infield shifts and all that stuff. I mean, you it's scalable, in my opinion. Um it is scalable. So you got to record all that stuff because you'll find out where people are strong and where people are weak. And then that's when you get to grow. And then you can, it's not used for uh, ridiculing people. Yeah, that's it's the used worst. to say, hey, John, did you know that when dealing with a, you know, male and female couple that's in their 40s to 50s your closing you, ratio is three percent right yeah but when you're dealing with 18 year old males you've got a phenomenal percentage yeah. or something yeah and you know thinking about like management from what you just said there i've had good managers and bad managers and when you think about having a bad manager or somebody that that leads with fear first or just anger and scolding and ridicule and um demeaning most of the time it's their reaction for, it's their snap decision, it's their snap reaction for the quick failure because they don't know how to fix it. If they had a solution that they believed in, and if they had a solution that they could grab you and say, Chris, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the remedy to be more successful, 
that's what they would do. But when they don't have the remedy, they're going to say, I'm going to beat you if you don't figure this out on your own or fire you or whatever it is. I'm going to do something. I'm going to scare you into us being more successful because I don't know how to make you successful by myself. So I'm going to try to scare you into figuring it out. Um, that's the worst. You see that in a lot of places. You see that with a lot of managers. Um, and if they would just stop, I went through a car wash the other day and I paid and I actually went to that same car wash today and had the same disappointment. I won't ever go there again, but I went through there and I'm like, I really want a good car wash. I want my car to be as clean as possible. You know, I want, I'm going to buy the $18 car wash. That seems crazy, but I really care about my car and wanted it that clean. I looked at all the, the crap up there and I wanted it. And the kids that like, well, all the cars actually, all the washes will get your car just as clean as, as the expensive one or the cheap one. It's just whether or not you want Rain-X. And I'm like, what? I just told you I want your best wash. And then you just unsold it to me and told me that I don't need it. <laughs> like that for one, I'm just going, okay, this is weird. And yeah, then I didn't buy it. And I went with just the mediocre like $8 wash because I thought, well, if he's telling me it's going to get it just as clean. And then as I drove around the corner, there was this Jeep in front of me covered in mud and when a car comes to a car wash with like extensive mud plastered all over to it they have an additional service for that right like a deep clean to get all that hard impacted mud off the paint and clearly this person purchased that service to make the car wash more money but there was a line of cars at the car wash and the owner comes out and he's furious and he says to the kid that just undersold me the car wash that I wanted we don't do the whatever he said, the, the mud removal when we've got more than five cars in a line. He's like, now you're going to bet, you know, and he started just ripping into this kid. Um, but clearly, that might have been the first time that the kid was told that or something was going on. But he, he, just, he just responded, and he responded from all these customers in just this anger and then just this yelling. And I just thought, man, this car wash has problems. And uh, this poor kid, you know, probably doesn't have good coaching. And, and I, so I thought that, and I thought, no big deal going on the rest of my life. And I, I leave the car wash, my car's clean, I come back to it today. And once again, I pull up, and I say the same thing just to see what kind of reaction I get. And I say, hey, I just, yeah, I'm thinking about getting the $16 one. I, I really want to get my truck as clean as possible. And he said the exact same thing, and undersold. Same kid? No, different kid. Different, one. different oh, kid. Wow. Yeah, good question. Yeah, different kid. And then, uh, so yeah, I went through, and sure enough, it was the same car wash and their vacuums weren't working and I won't ever go there again. But I don't blame anybody but their leadership. I don't blame anybody but their manager. He, he's probably not paying attention. He probably doesn't know the vacuum suck or if he does, he does I don't know. Mm. I don't know, it was just crazy. Just to, to get to see, I guess basically I had this horrible experience twice at the car wash and I got to witness the owner come out and be a jerk and it just kind of like, reassured me it just like validated that if you are rude and mean to your employees and you don't you don't have the knowledge here yeah you're probably running a poor business so this is it's it's super and this is i have play areas of my life that i probably do the analyzation that you just did mm -hmm. i would not have done that at that car wash right but that's not the first time i've heard you analyze a sales situation that i would not consider a sales situation but that's, that I think is, again, another testament to you're tuned into something that most people are not. Yeah. And what I mean by that is I look at the guy that is taking my money at the car wash as the employee who's taking my money and he's helping me out because he's telling me I can save some money, which is may or may not be true. Maybe he doesn't understand the 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 whole range of the features there. Right. Maybe the car wash he's he's actually he gets it and he's still helping you because he's like the our system's broken right or whatever but the reason i bring this up is because do you remember the other time we were at a pizza restaurant and you were super dialed into the service of them coming by and saying do you guys want anything to drink yeah i guess again my my uh, thought is or my assumption is you pay attention to these things of these situations in life where a lot of people are encountering this mm -hmm. or, and on a very frequent basis and you're able to quickly identify an opportunity for growth in the employee 
at the lowest level and you're immediately like, that's bad training. And I think that's a that's a another yeah, observation of like, hmm, I, I, I don't know. Is that something that you think about? I do like think you about think it. about analyzing all the time, but have you identified that that's something that you are good at? Um, I don't know if I've identified that maybe it's something I'm good at. Um, I, I do it, yeah, a lot of places I go. And um, it's interesting, like the, the place you're talking about, the pizza place, delicious pizza really good pizza. very good pizza and they have honey to put on you the put pizza honey which on is your crazy. pizza it was awesome but uh there's multiple t- times that i've been there and wanted a second beer and was never offered one and sat there for 10 minutes waiting because i still wanted one but then the 10 minutes had gone by and i'd sat with an empty plate and an empty glass and then i decide well i guess i'm not gonna have one i gotta go um and i just think what an opportunity this is probably really what i think I would love to own a business someday, right? And I'm, I don't know how to do that yet, right? I don't know what business to operate and what, what to do. But I think about it a lot. And so I also feel like I'm, I think I'm empathetic uh, with a lot of people and just in a lot of situations. So when I walk into a business, I, with good intentions, I care about this owner, right? I've worked at a place where we had a hostile takeover situation happen and we had a 51% owner come in and buy out a 49% owner. And for the, for the larger percentage of the owner, it was all about just money for them. And they weren't getting what they wanted. And so they just, just pulled the rings on, on the other people. But the other owners were like passionate and in love with this business. And I truly think doing the best that they could. And we were heading in a positive direction. Um, and I saw how heartbroken they were to have that opportunity get pulled away. They ended up getting bought out and they've, they've, gone on to do great things um but it was still like one day they woke up from their bed and they were they were going to go run this business that they love and then someone took that away from them so it broke their heart so i think seeing that i i walk into these places these restaurants where it's locally owned like the car wash is locally owned that pizza place is locally owned um that's where i pay attention most often um i work for a locally owned dealership um i just think if this is your business, like if you if you set out to do this, um, and you, you should care about it a lot. And these little areas are so minor. When I worked for Oil Can Henry's, it's it was this this corporation with very simple policies and procedures with minimum wage employees, but it was like all about following the policy and the procedure to a T, and you don't skip any steps, and it's very simple. And once you get everybody on board, it becomes second nature, and it, it was a really easy training process. When you would introduce it to somebody, they would kind of get their eyes big and they wouldn't think it was an easy process, but I just learned it's easy to train people if you have a plan, if you have a guideline, if, you ha- if they have clear goals and expectations. It's like these people don't have those things, clearly. The people at the pizza place don't, no one has told them, I want you to make sure that when a guest sits at our bar, they get spoken to at least six times. When you greet them, when you get their drink, when you take their order, when you deliver their food, you're going to check up on them, you're going to offer them a second drink, and then you're going to bring them their check, right? Like, and then even, that's, that's six without even extra or small talk. Like, I felt like we were hardly getting that when we would go there. Mm. Um, that's making me think of a, uh, I went to a talk with a business group that I'm a part of in Portland, and they were talking about scaling a business to a point where the owner can have the business run without them. That's the ideal way. The hardest thing to do is you obviously, you have an idea for a business, you jump in, you're just building it on passion and hard work, but you inevitably, or most people, if you're sane in my opinion, are trying to get to a place where the business runs without you there. Not forever, but you could be gone for a month and things are running as they should. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're trying to scale a business to multiple locations or even regionally or nationally. And what you just said in your own words, which is identical to this speaker who gets paid, you know, six figures to help corporations out, was when a business is started, it's an owner dependent business and then you go through these stages, and I don't remember what the middle stages are, but your goal is to get it to a process-dependent business. Right. Once you can get your business to a process-dependent business. You're on a boat. Then you, yeah, then you can go on vacation, mm-hmm. you can free yourself up to optimize even more or greater things or start other businesses. Right. But 
Yeah, I just think that what you just said is fantastic that the locally owned businesses or the managers or owners, especially when there are especially when there are businesses that operate on, you know, 60 to 100 customer interactions a day. Yeah. You know, where it's, it's critical. like you have to have these minimum wage employees and you need to train them up not only so you can operate, but then you've get you you know that you're going to have a turnover of the employees there for two years. Yeah, and you've got to be able to quickly get them to a very profitable level where yeah. they feel good and they're excited and mm -hmm. they're learning. Absolutely, and then they go on to a better job, and you bring in the next person or whatever. And that what you just said, yes, you want these people to grow within your company and be able to leave and then train the next ones and have it be processed. Um, it's interesting. I think probably what the problem is is that these owners, right? Like at the pizza place, he knows how to make delicious pizza, right? And has the money to open a place to make delicious pizza in. He, but they're lacking in other areas. And that's probably the case with a lot of those businesses and maybe that's just what I acknowledge. Um, I don't want to come across as a jerk because I don't even have my own business, but I shouldn't maybe be so critical of all these places. But um, I do it with the best intentions to just I really just think, man, this is lost opportunities. And maybe I should try and be bold and maybe make a suggestion to somebody because if they see my good intentions, um, you know, maybe it does benefit them. But I don't do it out of fear that they're going to be like, well, why would I take advice from you? And so maybe that's, maybe that's a problem that people run into is, is their ego, hmm. right? And it's like, well, congratulations, you did open a pizza parlor but you don't know how to instruct your employees on how to have proper customer service, but your pizza's still delicious, like, you know. And so being able to track, accept, you know what I mean, um, to learn more, it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. Um, being able to always self-examine your, or to be able, yeah, to do a self-examination and go, am I growing in this category? Can I grow in this category? Can I grow in this opportunity is really important. And like what you said, do you want to be a better speaker? figure out how to be a better speaker. If you want your employees to have better customer service, figure out what corporations do to, like McDonald's and Starbucks and those, the, the Ubers, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So kind of shifting topics a little bit, something that I have to ask you, because I don't know if we've ever had an a in-depth conversation on this, college. Mm -hmm. So you never went to college. Right. Um, I don't know if I ever found out why that was or if you... Um, it's interesting because I grew up in a family where I never, and it was also the school that I college. went to. It was like, I didn't, I don't even remember a time where I thought like as like halfway through my senior year or even at the end of my junior year, the thought never crossed my mind of like, Hmm, I wonder where I would work. If I like didn't. if I didn't go to college yeah. or I wonder like what I'm going to do after my senior year, it was always which college am I going to? End mm -hmm. of story. There was right. no, and, and it wasn't even like I felt pressured. It was just like an unspoken thing that I just absorbed into my future. Yeah. And then I went to college for four years, got an engineering degree, graduated from college, used that for six months, and then completely disregarded, and I shouldn't say disregarded it entirely, but I went on and started a business that knowing now I could have started when I was 19. Right. 100% I could have done it. I didn't, I, I did learn a lot of uh, leadership skills and other things. But anyways, I just say that from the perspective of, I think there's a lot of people that are going to college to, in today's world that are going purely because they feel obligated or it's an expectation from their parents. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious for you, what what happened at that point in your life? Why? I don't know why, how, how is it that you ended up not going to college? And then the follow-up would be, do you regret that? Do you wish you would have? Do you kind of want to now? I don't know. I'm just interested. So I graduating high school and getting ready to leave high school. I was like a mediocre high school student. I think I had a 2.9 or a 3.0 when I graduated and um, high school was really easy. I remember thinking I probably didn't have homework hardly ever in high school. It was just easy and school was never really made that important. My, uh, <clears throat> my dad died when I was 14, and then my mom worked two jobs for most of those four years of high school, which is me and my sister left in the house and our three older siblings out of the house. And so I think her victory was getting us to graduate high school, you know, not getting 
and, and, and paying all her bills and like, so she, and it's not bad parenting by any means, but she never really talked to me about going to high school. And I never really wanted to go to high school and my friends didn't, or to college, I mean, didn't really want to go to college. So it was never even really a thought for me. Whereas for you, it was completely 100% going. Um, I remember being encouraged by uh, the counselors in school, in like junior high and a little bit in high school. But then I think all of a sudden they kind of just, at one point, just they just were like, okay, these kids aren't going to college. What's shame on that high school? Um, because they probably should have encouraged more people to go to college. Um, but I didn't receive any. But um, I don't regret it now. Like hindsight, if I could go back, would I go to college and get a, a four-year degree or a master's degree in something business-oriented? Um, I don't think so. I think I would, uh, I would probably do it very similar to the way I did it. Um, with, with maybe more direction as far as getting into to business sooner and understanding the growth you can have through hard work and, and becoming an expert in a field. Um, so many people, like you said, go to college and graduate from college and don't use their degree, but gain a lot of life skills. And I think more important than learning how to write a perfect essay, um, depending on what career they go into, because obviously a lot of people need to go to college for their jobs. But when it's business related um, or customer service or even sales related and even not all engineering jobs, but I do have friends that have like become an engineer through experience, right? Like they hold an engineer position, um, but it wasn't, they never had an engineering degree in anything, but it was because they were had on the job training long enough. And so I don't know, to me, I look back and I respect people who go to college. Uh, I respect the heck out of them because uh, you know, they, they've got that certificate and they dedicate themselves and they completed something. But then I do run into people and I go, man, you just tell me party stories and that's all you tell me. You just like the glory days. Right. Um, and I think maybe it's a blessing in disguise that I didn't go to college because I was pretty party crazy at that 17, 18, 19 year old. I wasn't making the best decisions when it came to drugs and alcohol. Um, I got over that hump quickly, but had I gone to college and been around a lot more kids that all of a sudden were receiving the freedom that maybe I had, I had a lot of freedom in high school and a lot of kids don't. So when they get to college, they really kind of explode with, with all this experimenting on things. And I was doing that at a younger age um, and then kind of got over it at a younger age, thank goodness. Um, maybe it would have been an issue where college would have been bad for me and I would have, I could have gotten in trouble, you know, with, with other people experiencing all this freedom for the first time. Um, in the small town that I grew up in, it's just, we kind of got over it quick, but college, if I make jokes sometimes because my wife went to Gonzaga and she got a degree and I spent so much time on campus there with her and I loved, I feel like I got the college experience without ever going to class. Um, and just the other day as we we're watching the NCAA tournament and we had a new employee at work and they said something about Gonzaga and I said, oh yeah, my wife went there. And they said, oh, they, and she did. And then another person asked something and I said, yeah, I went there too. But people that were around me knew that I didn't graduate from Gonzaga. And so they all laughed and I got to tell them, you know, the Gonzaga stories. I'd eat lunch there and play basketball there. And I had, I'd take people's administration cards and check into the gym and, and do all sorts of stuff. Um, but yeah. So do you think that because there's a number of things that I feel you can only learn, um, well, for, again, from looking at you, there are things that you were able to learn very rapidly in the real world that you basically got a four-year head start on practical yeah. life skills yeah. that most people are no. able to delay. I interview people. And I was interviewing people graduating from college, um, and I was holding a higher position than them at Gold's Gym. I got to I got promoted. I started minimum wage kid at Gold's Gym, and became the assistant sales manager. And then I became the sales manager, front desk manager, and then I eventually got like the general manager role at the gym. But it was really not everything that a general manager would do. But um, at that Gold's Gym in Spokane, there was only me and another guy that had these two head positions under the owner. Um, and 
we were interviewing kids that were fresh out of college with $30,000 in debt and had never had a job. And I'd already had 10 jobs. Um, and they had college degrees and you would never know, you know what I mean? If, if that wasn't even a question, if, if college degrees didn't matter and you just interviewed people, um, yeah, it, it, it really, it made me thankful at that time. I was back then I used, I was like, yeah, I'm so happy I didn't go to college. I used to say that all the time, but now I can see both sides of it. I think I could have gained a lot from college, um, but probably not when I should have gone. I think I was too immature probably to gain what I should have gained in college. I could, could go to college now. I'd probably get a lot out of it now because I'd apply myself. Right. Yeah, I think that that's a... Uh, for, I am actually a big advocate and just kind of a future-minded person in the sense of I just... I could easily see a number of my own children not going to college. Yeah. Just because, um, I mean, they're going to do some sort of continued learning, mm -hmm. but I just feel that college in 18 years from now is going, it's I don't like the whole education system is going to be so drastically different than what it is today. I hope so. And I hope that it's more in line with like, let's get practical. Like I, I would want to send my child to college to gain like if they're going to be a doctor, mm -hmm. yes. If they're going to be a lawyer, sure, yeah. whatever. A but teacher. even then, I also feel strongly that so many people that enter college, have, they would benefit ex exponentially more by like a year off. Yeah. Travel the world. I don't care. Like you I'd know rather... what? The Mormons do it right. <laughs> right. Send a kid on a two-year mission, let him grow up, and then bring him back to one specific school or maybe two. Right, right. Yeah, and we're controlling. But mm -hmm. no, that, I, that... Yeah, no, well, yeah. there is wisdom in the in the fact of when you're, especially with the life expectancy and how long you live being lengthened, mm -hmm. the idea of like, I don't know, I just feel like there's a lot of learning that happens early yeah, figure on. Yourself and then out. you don't even know what you want to do yeah. for a long, long time. When I think about like a normal household right now with like two full-time parents and then kids that are going to school full-time, they, they need that extra time to just figure out who they are. Um, it's, yeah, that would be a great idea if kids took a year off or two years off. Military, too. Kids should probably not go into the military at 18 years old. Mm -hmm. They could probably let kids join at 20 or 21 when they're mature enough to make that decision. I, it's funny, like, in sales, this... I. I, I learn things in sales and then it's cool because I can apply it to so many aspects of my life. My most recent like epiphany in sales and is is being reasonable and logical and concentrating on always giving my customer a reasonable or a logic, logical explanation, a logical reason to buy, right? And, and I'll just say that to them. I'm going to be reasonable. I'm going to give you a logical uh, reason to buy the car for me today. And when I say that to them, they're like, he's going to be reasonable. <laughs> like they, it just, but then I am, I am reasonable. And so often when we're not prepared and we're not informed, we don't have the information, uh, we can't be reasonable and we can't be logical in our selling tactics. We then have to have tactics. We have to have selling strategies that maybe are schemeful or trick words or, you know what I mean? You're directing down this path that's salesy. But when you're an expert on your product and you're an expert on your, on your craft, uh, then you can just be reasonable and logical and then people will just say yes to this good decision. And I think about that in life. And I think about that like with what I was just saying, the military kids and the college kids. Is it logical for a kid who's 18 years old who has got all these emotions and was just so concentrated on prom two months ago and his senior project and, and Jimmy's car and and this, and like, they're overwhelmed with all this stuff, and it's crazy that they think they're ready for the big world at 18, and like, we thought we were that way when we were young, and then you get older, and you look back, and you go, wow, I was really young and dumb. Um, it, it would be very reasonable to me, sitting here now, knowing what I do, like, that makes sense to have kids wait, maybe, before they go to college. Um, yeah. Do you, one question, or, and this isn't, so, something else, another, thing that I have to know from your perspective, and again, this is more of like a figuring yourself out if you've ever, if you've looked at yourself this way, but I look at you from like a statistic, from a very analytical perspective. So you were raised um, in a small town in Washington, 
dad died when you were 14, right? Yep. Then you were raised basically for high school with a single parent, mm -hmm. didn't go to college. Um, and from my perspective, as far as the, this is very, uh, uh, what's what I'm looking for? There's not a lot of emotion going into this statement. It's just like a very like objective yeah. statement. Engineering like. Yeah, <laughs> Who, this is my, this this my college speaking. But from an ROI perspective yeah. on what your parents put in, mm -hmm. you now are married, have two beautiful kids, beautiful wife, you have a house, you have a car, you have, a nice a, a, yeah, you, you basically achieved exponentially more, and I can say that without exaggerating, than a lot of people ever achieve with a college degree. And I guess, I don't know, I'm just thinking from the perspective of your mom or your family. Yeah. I just feel like, first of all, they have to be extremely proud of what you've accomplished. And I don't know if you ever think about or appreciate Basically, you have been able to do all of this stuff, not to mention, on top of everything else I just said, I'm assuming, and just from conversations I've had with you, there wasn't like, yeah, you can stay at home for a couple of years while you get on your feet. It was like you jumped into buying a house or like renting on your own very, very quickly, and there wasn't like this, you know, I, I know a handful of people that rack up $80,000 of college debt, and this is these are people I went to school with, then go back home and live with their parents for four years yeah. and then are still trying to figure shit out. And I just look at you as someone that was like accelerated into this, like I graduate high school, I get jobs to make ends meet or whatever to get a car so I can do other things. I'm renting and then you get married, you buy a house. Like all this stuff to me is... Um, I just want to know how in the hell do you do that? How do you teach that? And how did, how are you able to do that? And the reason I want to know how you were able to do it is because I feel like other people need to be thinking about this or trying to help yeah. their kids do that. No, there's definitely a huge, um, there's a, a really large amount of people out there that have a very similar story to me or a worse scenario or a harder start um, that aren't making the same decisions that I made or, or just couldn't find the direction that maybe they needed. Um, going like blessings I mean honestly I think about like uh, Big Sean and it's like just blessings on blessings on blessings like uh, seizing some opportunities and receiving some opportunities uh, not knowing where they would take me but my older brother like right out of high school just was like you're gonna come be a drywaller with me and brought me into Spokane and got me a full-time job and I just started working and got to get into a trade that people work for their entire lives and have respectable careers, you know? Um, and got to see other trades at the same time. We got to see the electricians and the plumbers and the framers and the roofers and the siders and the landscapes. And um, so I got to really see like the hardcore working class um, and immediately realized I was capable of that, but then also capable of more. Um, but then also, just friendships and then my wife I, I I definitely had a lot of blessings along the way and I give a lot of credit to God but um, I still you have to make the choices to work hard and eventually acknowledge in yourself that you can do more than what you're currently doing um, and if you don't you don't have to but but if you want it like if you want to do more, if you sit there and you actually ask the question, do I want more than what I have now? Like if you're in a single wide trailer and you've got a nice green grass and a nice deck that wraps around your single wide trailer with a barbecue on it and your dog and your kids and everything's nice and that's what you like, then yeah, you don't need to make a lot and you can have that car and you can do the stuff. And it's not just about material things. I'm just using that as an example right now. But I know a lot of people who, when we were back in that scenario and like living in a trailers and, and friends that lived in trailers and stuff, like... I definitely wanted more, um, and they would say they did, but they wouldn't do the things they needed to do, um, because probably they didn't know how and they didn't have the people around them to either inspire or encourage them, or they were too afraid to ask for help. I don't know, it's hard to say, I haven't really been asked that question, but um, 
our dad instilled in us a lot of pride as a young age. And he, and it's funny, I don't run into as many families as I thought I would growing up that where it meant something to be who you are, like what your last name meant to you. But like in our family, we're a little bit uh, cocky or maybe egotistical about it, uh, being a Mishki. And we would say like, you're a Mishki. You know, you don't do that, you're a Mishki. Like it means something to be a Mishki. When we're, there's just very few of us and we're not, you know, we're not Rockefellers. Now, not now you know that, but back then you didn't. Back then I didn't know that. Um, but when I, and I, when I was a kid, I thought Mishkis were special. And my dad instilled that in me. I, I really actually thought I was tougher than other people because I was a Mishki. Just because I was a Mishki, I thought I was tougher. Um, and I wasn't at all, and I'm not at all. But believing I was tougher made me tougher, um, made me braver made me had to be brave in certain scenarios because I was Mishki and I, you know what I mean? So that honor and that integrity and that family name, our dad was big on that. And he, you know, he, yeah, you wouldn't want to. And so my sister and, and the rest of the family, like we've, we still embrace that, but I think in a more humble way and I think in a more appropriate way, um, unless you'll catch us in downtown Spokane, we might job a jog across the street and say Mishki's cross the street when we want and we'll do a little jaywalking and it's like a joke um my sister loves to do that and we all laugh at her but um I I so I remember sitting around with people and sitting around in these transitional years right when I wasn't going to college and other people were and I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life um and thinking I and and still remembering that I'm a Mishki I got to make my dad proud I want to make my family proud I want to make my mom proud um, I don't know. It's hard to describe that kind of stuff. At any point in that, I guess any time from when you graduated high school to, or I guess when you started schooling to when you graduated, did you ever have a goal of, I want to buy a house, I want to be married and I want to have kids? So actually, uh, I think that was like my goal. That's, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked that because I think at a really young age, I don't know if it was because I grew up in like the ultimate sitcom era with like Roseanne and Home Improvement and Full House and all these really cool shows that had these prototypical awesome families and this um, what America is supposed to look like type stuff. But I'd watch all those, you know, and I loved them. Um, but my family really wasn't that way, honestly, when we were young. Like it was pretty, it could be rough at times and um, they would, my parents would fight and They'd play Eagles on a school night till 11.30 p.m., you know, blared at the top of their stereo's volume, playing Trivial Pursuit, drinking rum and Cokes, and, and it was, you know, dysfunctional at times, and there were nights my dad went to jail. Um, the night my dad died, he was on drugs and, um, you know, really intoxicated. He had a heart attack, but he was using cocaine the same night. So uh, it's probably because of the cocaine <laughs> he had the heart attack. Um, so, I mean, I wanted that wife and kids that I didn't have really young because I saw it on TV, a little cable guy-esque. But um, I remember just thinking I'm capable of being that guy. And I remember always thinking my dad was capable of being this dad and my mom was capable of being this mom. Um, I used to always tell people I, my dad was an amazing father, but he was a, he was horrible to himself. Like, why are you so bad to yourself when you're such a good dad? Um, and so I wanted to be a good dad. I wanted to have that house. I wanted to I wanted to right those wrongs. And I think my whole family did. All the kids did in a way. I think they all saw our dad's potential, and and wanted to to do right by him. Um, because we knew what he was capable of doing. Uh, he let us all down, but um, he made us all proud in a lot of other ways. And so I think a lot of us chased that and we wanted that. I definitely wanted that. When I got actually the house that I live in now and the wife and my kids, two Thanksgivings ago, I had people over and we had talked about what we're thankful for. And I said, you guys, I really feel like this is a transitional period in my life where I feel like I've made it. And I hate to, I, I've grown since then, but I think I sat in it for like a month actually, um, where I go, I've made it. This is the life that I grew up dreaming about. This is what I wanted. Um, and now it's, it, okay, you have it. Like you can't just sit in it. 
in your moment, you've got to have a new moment to chase, um, new direction. And I'm in the, I think, I feel like I'm in the midst of still figuring that out, like the next chapter of my life. But I do feel like chapter one is rote and I'm proud of it and I feel like it's completed. Um, and, and now it's about going forward. But I, that goal, I guess, the goal of, of, of living in the neighborhood and having your wife and your kids and being, I'm capable of being the best dad I can be right now. And I got myself to that position, being the best husband that I can be. That's awesome. So the something that I, this is a very, maybe it's not important. I just have to know you. So what, I get what you're saying, but what I'm curious of is, did you, how much time do you think, like, did you ever write down? You know how people always talk about goals? Yeah. Did you ever say, like, I want to have a house, have a wife, have kids, have a stable job? Like, was that ever something that you... I never, like, no. Like, the way you just pretended to write it down on your hand, um, that statement, right? I feel like I made that claim in my heart mm. and in my mind. Um, when my parents... My parents technically split up like a month or two before my dad died. Mm. And I feel like I made that claim to myself. I, I feel like the moment that I thought it was in a summer league basketball game. Uh, my dad showed up to watch me play. And I didn't really realize he was there. He was sitting in the stands just watching me. And then the game got over and then I saw that he had been there. And he kind of walked out. Um, and I'm, things were probably tense between him and my mom at the time. And then we walked out with him. I got a quick interaction with him. And then he got in this convertible MG car. And it's like this cool, right, red little roadster car. And he drove off. And I was like, what is my dad doing? Like, where did he get this car? Like, whoa, where'd my cool dad go? Um, and then I got really sad, you know, and rode home in the car thinking that night, like, I'm never going to have that happen. <laughs> I'm never going to be that guy that shows up at my kid's game, leaves in the cool car, and doesn't go to the go home with him, right? Or doesn't bring me home with him. Or doesn't take care of my mom the way he's supposed to take care of my mom. Because I saw everything that my mom went through. Um, but I feel like that was like when I went, okay, I'm not going to be the bad Carl, right? I'm mm. going to be the good Carl, the one. And so I just focused on that. And I would think about it all the time through high school and I would I would observe going back to being observant when I go to friends houses I'd observe their relationships I'd hyper observe the, the the relationship between my friends parents and how their dad treated their mom and how their mom treated their dad um, I just didn't want to I just don't want to disappoint people like that mm. that's that's very powerful I think the reason that I am so obsessed with that and like, I don't know, I follow up and just kind of drilling that home is because I think about for so many people, I've heard the statistic of when you write something down like that, mm -hmm. it's exponentially more likely to happen because you've made it like real or whatever. And I have a hard time with that, to be honest. But at the same time, I, I feel like um, I want to cling to I want to like hang on to that reality that if you write down a goal and you think about it often and you're pursuing that, you will achieve it. Yeah. And, um, but it's hard to actually, I feel in my own life, it's hard to say what you really want. Right. Like to dream big to you hear, I, I, I read so many books. I watch so many videos and podcasts and go listen to people speak like you know the big big names tony robbins and mm -hmm. robert herjavec and gary vaynerchuk and all these people talk about um basically dream big like dream big go big and then work hard and you will achieve it yeah and i want that to be true i can't i feel like i'm doing it in a small way but i'm i'm not uh I can't like basically tell someone through my own experience that what they said is true. For me, uh, I never, even when I started my own business, I did a little bit of like goal setting, but I didn't, I always feel like, and this is, I think this is natural for most people, is that we always set a goal like within a reasonable, like it's, it's better than what we are, where we're at now, but we're afraid to be like, I want to do, you know, 
travel, like I want to speak to a million people at one time. I want a 200 foot yacht or whatever, you know? We're always like, I want to get a boat. And in our head, it's like, a canoe will do fine. Like something that we can purchase because it's like, it's attainable. Yeah. <clears throat> but anyways, the re reason I'm bringing all this up is because I just think the power of naming or, or like going big for something mm -hmm. that you want to accomplish, stating it, writing it down and repeating that and going after that is intoxicating to me because I want that to be true. But it's also very scary to admit or say to people. Right. Um, but I guess the, and the tying this back to what you're saying, I'm just curious if, uh, I feel like you have achieved a lot basically by internally, um, claiming things and working towards those, maybe even subconsciously at some point. Yeah. And do you ever think about, you know, what is the big crazy thing that you, that you really want? set like down below like you don't even tell you haven't even said to your wife yeah um but you actually are capable of achieving if you were comfortable enough stating it you know what i mean i don't even know yeah. if that makes sense well, i think i kind of do um know what you're saying you know i used to i actually really used to think that i was going to be like a like a pastor of a church for a long time when i was young and and i loved this I love the idea of that because of how impactful you can be and inspiring and how helpful you can be. And, um, and I do believe, but as I keep like going to churches and as I've gotten older and older, I, I feel like I struggle with looking at the priests and comparing myself to them instead of just being like myself. Um, and then I, I just have a hunger for, for helping people. It's for me, I really, I get a lot out of, of being a part of people's success, right? If, if I get to be a part of somebody's victory, um, I, winning a sprint is cool. I, I'm a fast runner, right? And I've, I've ran a lot of races and won a lot of races, head-to-head, -head, 10 people, one, one person wins, and that's cool. But honestly, I celebrate a lot more in... And, and more comfortable celebrating loud and, and getting excited when I'm winning with a team. Um, and so that's, that's what always has drawn me to that. Um, also fitness and health. Um, so, it, I mean, it would be amazing to be able to impact people through a way uh, where you're not only benefiting their, their body, but also their spirit, right? So, and I don't know what that looks like, but... Yeah, when I lay, when I when I do my lotto win, dream big thing, I'm like, I'd start a sweet church with a gym in it, you know, type deal. Hmm. Um, but I don't know if that's what you were. No, I mean, I don't. I don't even have. I just basically am like stream of consciousness, trying to figure out. Yeah. In all in every podcast, I feel like there's always a moment where I'm like, I don't know, just trying to figure out what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, the, I think that's an interesting way that you phrase that. The lotto win, what I do, started a church with a gym in it or something. I think that's interesting. My the kind of the follow-up question um, as we're wrapping up is: Do you think that you will ever pursue another career, or um, in the foreseeable future, or do you feel like the goal right now is accelerate into this sales manager role, um, do the best that you can in that, impact people in a big way? But what's what's the you know five to ten year goal for Luke Mishke look like as of today? Um, I think a five year is to uh, to embrace the opportunity that I that I have uh, right now. Um, I have I can grow a lot in the role that I have right now, um, and I feel like I need to take advantage of that. Um, it's going to make me I have to manage people that I've been working next to. Um, I have to find ways to motivate and encourage them. Um, and I have to figure out how to get our dealership to sell more cars, a lot more cars. The goals that have been set for me are like lofty. Um, I kind of wrote the job description that I'm now in and presented it as like, can I have this job? And then it took a few months and then they gave it to me. So, so I'm excited about that and I want to, I want to win at it. Um, 
So, so if I had to say five years, I'm, I'm locked in for five years committed to this, unless something came along that I couldn't refuse, of course. Um, ten years um, is bigger than that, for sure. Um, hopefully be able to take the success in the new version of me that, that gets created um, and do something more, and I really don't know what that is yet. Um, but tangible stuff that I actually think for 10 years is all like, um, you know, that typical responsible stuff, retirement funds and paying off houses faster than you plan and that kind of stuff. Just being, just figuring that kind of stuff out. Nothing too fun. Mm. Um, I ask everyone this top three book recommendations. So I admit I'm a, I'm a horrible reader, um, and don't read enough books, but, um, the book that, that I read, and it's by Phil Knight, um, is the Shoe Dog one most recently that I actually just like loved. And I actually liked that book so much that I shared it with people and like, um, they, and then the next day they would see me, they would like want an update on it. So it was kind of like, I was like going, oh, and this is what the second chapter and the third chapter and the fourth chapter about. So that's how good that one is. And obviously it's this big, huge global brand that everybody's in love with. So everybody should probably read that. And then um, the subtle art of not giving a, F word um, was a really cool book for me. Um, it was good. I struggle with anxiety um, at times and have, you know, like subtle panic attacks. And I feel like I have a really good grip on it. Um, but it still comes back in waves and it's always stress related and it's always a lack of preparedness for me. And it's always, um, it's always when I get worried about things that I can't control. Um, and so that book is, is it kind of it helped with that. And then um, I like anything that actually helps overcome anxiety because it's you know, like my biggest fear is, is anxiety. And I know a lot of people out there live with anxiety and a lot of people are on medication for anxiety and I'm not on any medication for anxiety. And I, I would love for no one to have to take medication. I think the anxiety is a normal thing to, in, to talk about this a little bit more. So if you're dealing with anxiety <laughs> and anybody who listens to this is dealing with anxiety, I just pray for you and and just be strong and try to get off your medication and get some of the counseling and talking to other people that are dealing with similar things um, because there's power in numbers and there's power in being relatable and when you can find people that are struggling with the same things that you're struggling with um, it's amazing the healing that can go on and mm. get you out of those holes of anxiety um, but uh, beyond that um, the book that I'm, I'm reading right now that I've been reading for like a year that I just kind of keep going back and the book itself is really repetitive is um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I'm rereading that because of my new position and I just feel like I need a re-upper. And then for any car salesman out there, Joe Verdi's got a really cool book. It's called, um, actually I don't know if I'm going to say the title right, but it's um, basically earning $100,000 a year in auto sales. Mm. And uh, it's a really cool book. I will link those in the show notes. Um, and then favorite movie of all time? Um, I'm a huge Rocky fan. I actually, yeah, I could have watched, I've probably watched Rocky one, two, three, four, and five, and not six and Creed um, as often, but the original five Rockies that, that you could get, like I had the VHS disc tape you know five set you put them all together and it's the it's rocky so rocky all the way which number if you had to only recommend one which one would you say um rocky two rocky two or four the training the training scene in four is so awesome i i honestly i haven't i've seen i i don't even know which rocky movie i have seen all the way through i yeah. think i've seen a couple but i could not tell you one versus the other i don't like Sylvester i know i've Stallone seen one all in the way Russia. through running yeah. and training log carrying and for Drogic or something yeah, like that yeah that I, name? <laughs> yeah Dro yeah Ivan you're gonna make me it's Drago Ivan Drago, Drago. yeah Drogic I think is a basketball player yeah <laughs> um and how can people get in touch with you if they're wanting to connect uh if anybody wants uh they can uh get to me through my email um it's lc mishke which is lc m-i-s-c-h-k-e at gmail.com um yeah, that's the best way to get in touch with me. Awesome. And then to bring us home, I have 10 rapid fire questions okay. that you have not seen. You don't have to get a justification. You could say one word if you want. Okay. But the goal is to just instinct 
And if it's an embarrassing answer, say it anyways. Okay. But because these are kind of weird, I didn't really look thoroughly at the questions. I just have. I've listened to your podcast list. before. They're not the same questions I've heard on nope, other it's podcasts. Totally, it's just a list of three hundred banked that I just grabbed ten of them and pulled them in. Oh wow. Okay. So, what does your office or workspace look like? Circle. Favorite car. Oh my gosh, I can't even say. I'd... You have to pick one. <laughs> Lamborghini. <laughs> okay. Favorite sound? <laughs> Bass. Bass. I don't it? know. Okay. What time do you eat lunch? Uh, 12.30. Last item that you purchased? Shoes. What is one of your pet peeves? Oh, loud eating. Loud eating, loud like eating. smacking. Yeah, it, yeah. What confuses you? A lot. Um, what confuses me? Women. No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I think that's a fair answer yeah. for any man. <laughs> Favorite song? Oh my gosh. Um, Everyone has a favorite song stuck in their head. What's stuck in your head right now? Oh, it's not stuck in my head right now. I listen to a lot of Logic right now. I don't know. I really can't say. Off the hip. Favorite song. Eminem is... Eminem. I'm a huge Eminem fan. So if I had to say, like... I could tell you so many Eminem songs and rap so many Eminem songs. That, which actually, this is not on my list, but I because you mentioned Eminem, if, if I were to put a karaoke machine in front of you right now, because I know, this is a side note, but Luke is notorious for his Eminem karaoke. I've seen him perform actually. But if you had to make do an, a karaoke song, an Eminem song right now, what would it be? I would do um, The Real Slim Shady. Nice. And then... <laughs> Those days are over though, by the way. <laughs> you learn that you're going on a last minute business trip. What do you do first? I'm going on a last-minute business You're trip. Leaving in two days. What do I do first? Make sure my clothes are washed. And then, when is the last time that you cried? Oh, um, yeah, dang it! I was on vacation uh, just last week, and I watched that Sandra Bullock movie with the football player. What's it called? The Blind Side. Mm. I held back some tears. Yeah, teared up. I'm gonna call that crying. There was a tear that came out. Yeah, that movie's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Luke. This was fun. Um, Thanks yeah. for having me. This was, um, on a quick side note, one of the things that I said to Chris when he asked me if I wanted to do this was I said, yeah. And the biggest, one of the biggest reasons I wanted to was not because I felt qualified to share my knowledge or expertise, but because it was an exercise for me to stretch and just to be vulnerable and try to be honest and sincere. So thank you. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you, everyone, for your attention and listening to another episode of The Pursuit of Purpose. Your feedback and comments mean the world to me. If you liked what you heard, take a second and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. If you've got suggestions for future episodes or want to say hi, you can shoot me an email at chris at chriskiefer.net. And don't forget, I make it a point to include all of the links to the books, movies, and resources that were mentioned in this episode in the show notes. You can find those notes directly in the episode description or on my website at chriskiefer.net. You're listening to the Pursuit of Purpose podcast. Wisdom, stories, and advice from successful entrepreneurs and inspirational people.